everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego's first ever bonus episode. I'm Christy Totten. This week, we talked to NFL media journalist Jim Trotter, and Jim had a lot to say about Junior Seau that we wanted to share with you. Jim wrote a book about the 10-time All-Pro linebacker called Junior Seau, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. Usually, we end our episode with a name drop, but for this one, we're going to start there. We hope you enjoy. Well, we usually end our episodes by asking for our guests to name drop someone. Uh, you said that if you had to pick, it would be Junior Seau. No question. No question. He um, hmm, he deserves as much credit for me being where I am than, than, than even I do to some extent. So, you know, we all need that in this profession or in any job, you know, with, with what you two are doing. You have to have people, and I don't want to just use the term mentors, but you have to have people who, who help you along the way. Um, in some form or fashion and and he was that guy for me like i say because I, I had never been in an nfl locker room on a daily basis and to have the guy who was not only the leader of the team but one of the greatest to ever play decide he's going to take you under his wing to help you understand how to cover that locker room um that that's he didn't have to do that he didn't have to do it at all and that's not to say we didn't have run-ins over the course of those years, because we did. Um, I think it might be the only time I was ever afraid in my career, physically afraid. <laughs> he, he, if we have time, I can tell you the story. Oh, yes, we have please. time. <laughs> uh, so, so Junior, um, he was, like I said, he was always the team guy. Everything, everything, he was there for the team. Always there, always there. Voluntary workouts, whatever it was, he was there. He was the leader, he was the guy. So one year, I don't remember the exact year, but he signs a new contract with the Chargers that makes them, I think the high, at that time, the highest paid defensive player in the league. Well, shortly after that, like, I don't know, and I'm, I'm guess, guesstimating here, I think it was a month. A month later, the salary cap goes up uh, more than expected, which means that if Junior had waited, he could have tried to get even more money from the Chargers. So he's thinking that the team pulled a fast one on. So they have a voluntary mini camp shortly after that. Kevin Gilbride was the coach. Junior doesn't show up. He's never not shown up before. So that's news in itself. Then what makes it even more newsworthy is the organization decides to take him on. And the general manager, Bobby Bethard, and the coach, Kevin Gilbride, are saying that he's being selfish and he's upset with his contract, and we just made him the highest paid player, defensive player in the league, and yada, yada, yada. So I'm like, oh boy. So I call Junior's phone, I get no answer. Call his rep, get no answer. I call someone close to him, nobody's returning the calls. So now I'm sitting there like, what do I do? I'm like, I know this isn't him, but there's nobody on his side who'll speak, and you got the GM and the coach over here saying this, and you got to report what they're saying. So I reported. And um, the next day I left because I had some previous commitment, family commitment. So I wasn't there for the final two days of minicamp. Well, Junior comes back and he's there at minicamp those two days, but I'm not there, so I don't see him. And he's not called me or anything. So the first time I see him after this voluntary minicamp is the first day of training camp. 
and it's in La Jolla at UCSD. And he's seated in a golf cart with Kurt Govan. And I remember walking up to the golf cart and he looked at me and he, his eyes, it's just a look you'll never forget. They were so intense. And he said, hard copy, get the fuck out of here. Wow. And hard copy, if you remember, was that show back in the day, that sensational show, new quote unquote news show that dished the dirt on all this kind of stuff. So it was not complimentary. And I'm like, I turned around and I walked away. I mean, it was probably the only time in my career where I like, like walked away, you know? But I was like, you could see he just had this look that you, you at that point, it was, would not have been wise to try and engage him. So he didn't talk to me for, he didn't talk, let's see, that would have been July, July, August, September, October. So for like four and a half months, he didn't talk to me. Wow. Outside of when he would do his general press thing, if I was lucky, he would ask a question, but he didn't talk to me. So two things happen after that. I go to do a story on him around Thanksgiving. There was something going on and I put in a request to interview him. That's how bad it had gotten. I had to put in a request. And he agreed to it, which I was like, ooh, okay. Maybe the ice is on. And he comes and meets me for this thing. And the next thing I know, he's bearing his soul. I've not been a good father. I've not been a good husband. I've not done this. I've not done that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just want to talk to you about football coming up. It's, it's around Thanksgiving. And I don't know what to do with it. So at that time, I called his wife and I called Gina. And I'm like, what's going on here? And we had a conversation and whatnot. And then people around the building were even talking about how he was a different guy. So um, this was the one thing about Junior people, I think people didn't know him underestimated was how smart he was in terms of just understanding situations and people. At the end of the year, he calls all the media down who cover the team down to his restaurant. And he wants to clear the air. And essentially, in so many words, say he's sorry, wants to do better, um, yada, yada, yada. And so he and I have a private moment. I, I remember I said to him, I said, Junior, look, I said, I know you were upset, but put yourself in my shoes. I said, I called your cell phone. I called your, your house. I called people close to you. Nobody spoke. I said, so you're in my shoes and you got the GM and the coach on the record saying these things, what would you do? And I said, I can't speak for you. And I never had a problem after that with him. So even to the point where I found out, which I wasn't supposed to find out, that the team was trying to trade him, when I called him, which I'm thinking he's not going to deal with this, he actually called me back. And even then, because he knew, I'm, I'm guessing here, as I said, I can't speak for you. And if you say nothing, it may turn out the way you don't like. So at least take the opportunity to try and in some way control the narrative or have a say in the narrative. And um, so yeah, so he was he was smart in that way that, that 
you know, you wouldn't make the same mistake twice. Um, but yeah, that's the only time in my career I've ever been like physically afraid was that look I saw from him. Ooh, sounds like rightfully so. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, where did where do you think that generosity of spirit come came from? You know, from him. Like, he didn't have to take you under his wing in the locker room. He didn't have to ultimately forgive you. He didn't have that to have that party for reporters, but he wanted to. So, so what was that about? That's who he was. Um, you know, um, small and heritage. They're they're giving people in general, and um, and Junior was was raised that way, and. You know, as it outlines in the book, he went through a lot of hardship as a youngster. Um, you know, there was a lot put on his shoulders from a very young age. He was the one that was supposed to lift the family out of poverty. Um, he was a Prop 48 guy, which many couldn't, because he didn't have the qualifying test score, he couldn't play as a freshman at USC. Um, he was, there were people who shamed him because of it. He never forgot that. Um, the one thing about Junior, he was a very loyal guy. If you were loyal to him, man, he, he was that guy who was always going to be there for you. I mean, he was incredible that way. Um, so loyalty meant a, a lot to him. And I think that's why he felt the way he felt when he didn't show up at that minicamp. And I wrote about it because I think he felt he had always been fair to me and whatnot. And here I just made him look really bad in public. And it wasn't until he had calmed down enough to have that conversation that he could accept that, that maybe he played a role in that, in, in what happened. But he was, he just had that spirit about him. It was special. Um, I'll never forget Mark Davis, the, the owner of the Raiders, telling me a story about, you know, he, they, the Raiders played in uh, the Chargers one year um, on a Sunday evening, I believe it was. No, it was a Sunday afternoon, and Mark Davis was going to go to, I think, Palm Springs the next day. So he decided to stay over in San Diego and was going to drive to Palm Springs the next day. So he decided he was hungry. He decided to go down to Seau's restaurant to have dinner. And he said he walked in, and Junior was at the front desk, which at times he was known to, to do. And Mark said, you know, he told him, he said, you know, I've always hated you. And and he meant it respectfully because of how good of a player Junior was. Well, anyway, the two of them, Junior took him up to his office. They ate, spent the night talking about life, not about football, but more about life and things like that. And Mark Davis said he was like one of my best friends where when I came to town, I would always, you know, reach out to him. That's how Junior was. Everybody was his best friend, you know, and you felt that even if you were meeting him for the first time, you were, that was your best friend. He had a way of doing that. You know, and even if he couldn't remember your name, the way he would call you buddy, you know, um, I, I have a, I actually have in my house, he gave me, and I've, I've never asked a player for a jersey before, but he gave me a um, game-worn jersey from when he played the Chargers for the first time after he was traded. He was with Miami, and wow. remember that we had the fires here. And uh, so the game was played over in Arizona. When the game was over through, through one of his people, I get a game-worn game -worn jersey from him that he changed at halftime. And he wrote me a note on it. Um, and uh, I have it framed, you know, it's, uh, that's who he was, you know? 
that's the kind of guy he was. He just he would he would literally give you the shirt off his back. In this case, the jersey. Thank you for sharing those beautiful stories with us. No, you're welcome. He's a he was a he was a beautiful guy. He's missed. I, I tell you true. Even today, former players will say to me, "Man, I miss Buddy." Just out of the blue. You know, when I if I haven't talked to a guy in a while, they'll say, "Man, I miss Buddy." You know, that's 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 the impact he had. Is that him in the picture behind you? I've been wondering that. Yeah, what it what this is. One preseason, he talked Mike Riley into allowing him to play off offense. So he was <laughs> tight end. Wow. So in this, in this preseason game against the, the Kansas City Chiefs, he actually caught a touchdown pass. The only touchdown pass he ever caught in the NFL. <laughs> it was this play. And, and Sean Haffey, who was the photographer, it was just such a great photo that literally I asked him for a print of it because it was awesome. The other thing is the other people who asked him for a print was Junior. And the other person who asked him for a print was the head coach, Mike Riley, who has it up in his office to this day. <laughs> That's great. That's good trivia right there, too. I didn't know that. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, um, it was amazing. I don't. Oh, he signed it, too. Nice. Um, I, I forgot about that. He said, uh, he said to Jim, thanks for the lessons. Junior Seau, 55. I'm like, wow. he gave the lessons. I didn't. Well, we, uh, I've been seeing that, that whole setup that you have there in the background on all your different um, shows that you go on. So people can watch out for it on, on some of your upcoming appearances. Yeah, this one's Ladanian. All the Hall of Famers I've covered as a beat writer, I, I, I buy their jersey and I put it up in a frame. Nice. So and then um, this was a... Larry Fitzgerald, a, a painting that was done that I got at a charity auction he had back in Minneapolis. Um, uh, was it last year? I think it was last year. And it signed, um, he signed the painting. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, so pretty soon I'll have one of, or in five, six years of Drew Brees, having covered him on a daily basis but I'm fairly done because I don't cover guys on a daily basis anymore. So um, I'm limited in that way. We're going to send you a name drop poster that you can add to your, your <laughs> wall of fame behind you. <laughs> right, send it to me. I'll put it up. Oh, that'd be awesome. Wow. You guys got to sign it. <laughs> there you go. Nobody will want it then. But Jim, uh, want it. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, this has been such a great conversation. No, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Name Drop San Diego. Next week, we'll talk to Claudia Sandoval, the first Latina to win MasterChef. Stay tuned.